Get that. Yeah, so he won't stop now, will he? I love that part of the song. Um, we are going to share a little of a snippet of our story with you guys and gals tonight. And it's going to be a little bit like a, like a fire hose, probably, a little bit. But hang in there with us. Because um, this is what... I'm going to need some volunteers, too. I need... Uh, Four male volunteers, three to read scripture, and one with a pocket knife. Pocket knife? Who's got a knife? All right. The other, the other three hands get to read scripture. I need. I'm actually not doing magic tricks, but I need this one piece here. Um, can you pray for us? Right now. Hold on one second. Yeah. Uh, three scripture readers. I need uh, Matthew 28. Uh, these will be familiar for everybody just resetting us. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And then Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Sean? Sam's got that one. Matthew 22. 26 through 40, or 36, I'm sorry, Matthew 22, 36 through 40, and then, see that one in, Hebrews 10. We're good. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let's go. So I asked for male volunteers, because part of my story is uh, God revealed to me the power of seeking out masculine male relationships that had a desire to find God. And as they were on the journey, I went with them. Uh, so that's going to give me a little bit of comfort here as we go through this. And my bride wanted to pray. Mm-hmm. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just, I stop and attempt to be still in my racing and my thoughts. I cry out to you, Lord. Elroy, the God who sees us. The fully best us, Lord. The completed, finished us. Jesus, I ask you to um, use our words, Lord, that they would um, glorify you. They would be found pleasing, Lord, and they would be found empowering, Lord, that the hands and feet in this room would be compelled into more, more of your presence, Lord, in their lives. A full surrender. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. And that's what we hope uh, you guys will take away. We're going to share part of our story, but the hope is that you take away as you see our story is a part of God's story, and you're a part of that story. And we hope you find it as an encouragement to whatever the next step is that, that God's speaking to you about currently. And that's what we hope you take away, no matter how this goes or how it ends up or what we say. That's what we hope we get to. Um, so the yarn is what you get tonight. Like It's going to be a lot. And God didn't give us this in this form. What he gave us was just what we were ready for and could handle along the way, you know, just a manageable amount with each yes. And so my wife calls that. Um, the power um, 
of a life-changing yes. And uh, that's kind of been it for us. And as we've said yes to different things, um, it seemed like we could handle that. But if we'd have known <laughs> that it was going to be that much, we probably at that moment would have said, uh, mm -hmm. not me, no thanks. Uh, but we didn't. He didn't reveal that to us. So, so we took our piece and we went to the next. And he kept offering pieces. And we'll show you um, what that looks like after we get done here. So we've been talking about Matthew 28. Who's got that? Matt? That's funny. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Mm. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thanks, Matt. So, go in and making disciples. That's what we've been talking about. Mike's been unpacking that for a couple of weeks. And um, it's like, teach them all my commandments. Well, the only way I can carry that with me is this next set of verses, which is Matthew 22, uh, 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So I grew up in Hurricane Mills. That's close to Waverly, which is close to Dixon, <laughs> close to Nashville. So Middle Tennessee, homegrown. But uh, that, framing it like that, keeps it simple for me to go. And as I go, teach them all that he's, all his commandments. And if I think about his commandments, hinging on loving God and loving others as I love myself, it's a piece that I can, I can hold on to, you know? And then, um, so what does that look like? I wanted to share, we've talked about this one too, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So those three for me just frame everything together. It's like, go, teach them my commandments, which is to love God and, and uh, to love others as myself. And what does that look like? Uh, it looks like encouraging one another. It looks like coming together and meeting together. It doesn't say when. It doesn't say where. It doesn't say how many times. It just says go and do it. And it starts changing your life. And so... We're going to go back to 2005 and pick up from there. Because that, if, if we, um, I was 35, she was 32. You'd want that to be known. <laughs> Three years younger than me. Um, and we had a uh, four-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. Ooh. Huh? Yeah, that's right. 
Like that was a different season. But 2005 for us, spiritually, if we, as we look back, and it's been a neat process to reflect back and look at this journey over the days preparing to, to do this. But we would have to build an Ebenezer, one of those stone monuments out in our yard and put 2005, a little flag on top for 2005 because we had a couple of experiences in 2005 that, that changed our, our journey. It changed how we uh, just saw life. It changed the lens of how we saw life happening. And uh, for me, that was uh, some men inviting me to a retreat with them, uh, which at that time I didn't, I didn't worship with them on a regular basis that hour a week, but that's my faith to summarize it up to that point looked pretty much like that, just <coughs> weekly worship time coming together in that weekly time for an hour and not much more than that. Um, but a set of brothers invited me to come with them on a retreat just to get to know each other, each other a little bit better. And, um, man, I thought, man, that sounds pretty good. I'll do that. So that was a yes. And the first question in that first session was, how is it with your walk? And um, that floored me. Like, the rest of the sessions, the rest of the weekend, I couldn't really move past the first question because how is it with my walk is like, my walk was only one hour during that week, and he opened my eyes to that at that moment to say, I've got more for you. There's more in my story for you to be a part of. And so for that moment for me, coming out of that weekend changed um, the things that I started to to seek after and get involved with, and it was 2005, so I'll let Mary Catherine share an event she experienced in 2005 that was happened to her, but it was just as impactful for me, same with my retreat weekend, but... So, I kind of start off, and I have to go back, like he started it with Hurricane Mills, not Hurricane, it's Hurricane. Hurricane. Hurricane Mills. Um, I would go back to my first life-changing yes was when I was seven years old, and I asked Jesus in my heart. And um, when I did that, I told my mother, just after we prayed our little prayer, I said, Mama, I'm going to be a mission teller. And I went on to say and said, see, Mama, I didn't even know what those words were before. See, he is real. He is living in me. Um, I didn't know I'd ever said that until uh, four years ago. So I'd already started Doors of Hope. And we'll tell you all a little bit about Doors of Hope. My mom came to me after a spiritual retreat, and she shared with me that I'd spoken mission teller. I still don't even know what that means. What is a mission teller? Sounds uh, magical, I guess, when you're seven. But when you break the words down, I think they're pretty cool. And um, I love how Jamie really, I think, gave us a, a big golden nugget. And I would love to really, if all of y'all would write down the way you prophetically speak over yourself and your family and you call forth the calling in your life, how cool would it be when she comes back in a year from now to be able to say, look what I spoke forth through God, what he did. And so I think it's really interesting. So tonight I want to honor that little girl and try to be a mission teller tonight and tell a little bit about my journey. But um, I wish I could say that from that day forth I lived as a warrior, a conqueror for Christ, but sadly I did not. From seven and on I lived maybe like many of you that I wasn't quite good enough. I'd already had a few life experiences that skewed my mind that I felt like I had to try harder, work harder. I lived a, I, almost my whole life like I'm in trouble, go to bed, regret, wake up, oh, guilt. 
I didn't even do anything. What did I do? And I began to list and list all the things, and I would ask again for the smallest of little things. Maybe if I forgive myself this, you know, workspace, workspace. I needed to work again, and I learned that I worked my way to God and, in, and worked my way to his favor. And then, and in my 20s, in my 30s, then I'll say yes tomorrow to his calling on my life when I actually believed I had it all together. And actually, take it one step further, I believed only certain people really got called into missions. I heard that lot growing up in the church. She's called into missions. So um, I had a unique opportunity to go hear Beth Moore speak in Knoxville sometime in 2005, and I heard her say something so profound, profound from this Knoxville stadium podium. She said, you got all the Holy Spirit you're going to get. Now get on with it. I'm like, that for a little church girl and private school Christian upbringing, that was revolutionary to me, if that's the word you say, but I had never heard that before. I thought at that point I had to pray harder and try harder, right? Read more, get it right, and then I have this feeling, and then I would be worthy of blah, 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 blah. I went home. That whole conference was on love. People I went with saved their marriages. You'd hear different people talk about the love and the things that they learned. And what I got out of it, all I could remember is, I have been chosen and I have been loved since before I was created, before the foundation of this earth was created. I was chosen. And I believed it, and I still don't know why, but I accept it. So 2005 marched on. I've been the best little Jesus girl you can imagine. Gone to private school, gone to every church service, Sunday, Wednesday. Had two different kinds of churches. Went to school with one religion, went to church with another. It was really confusing. Um, And God worked in it. He totally worked in it. Um, But in 2005, I got the opportunity to um, make friends with Angie Stevens in our neighborhood. And we had a very social cul-de-sac. I was the fun party girl of the cul-de-sac. And... um, but I also went to church every Sunday for that hour and drove and came back. And so one time Angie's kid came to Bel Air Baptist Church for vacation Bible school. And every kid went home with a thing on their wrist. And, it, and it, the purpose of the bracelet was that the kid would go home and ask the parent about what they'd learned. Well, somehow Angie heard me answering the questions about Moses and who Moses was on the bracelet. So later on that afternoon, she called me and she said, I mean, man, Mary Catherine, I didn't know you were like that. I'm like, like what, Angie? I didn't know you were like that. I mean, I didn't know you knew who that Moses was. What are you talking about? I go to church every Sunday. (laughs) I've gone to church every Sunday my whole life. And as you can see, it was shocking to me. But God used that tender moment. I laugh now. It was not funny. It would against every little thing that I was going to be. Every yes that I had believed that I could be. And I, I just knew in that moment that I had been seen. God saw me for who I was. And I was holding myself back. So it was one of the... Profound things I did, I went to him and I didn't hide, and I went and I cried, and he said, well, go to her and talk to her. Just set it straight. Just tell her a little bit more about it. So I mustered up the courage to go over there, and I said, listen, I owe you a big apology. Like, I need to really tell you, like, who I am. And, and I began to just talk. At the end, she went and got a box out, and she got a Bible just like this one, and I ended up going and buying one. And after that, this was in our 30s, um, basically, in a long story short, she accepted Jesus just through, that was the beginning of a relationship. She would begin to know Christ. And it was just in the courage to say, let me just tell you who I really am. And from then on, I started thinking, like, gosh, Lord, what do I, what do I, what does my life really look like? And so Angie taught me a lot. And it was in that moment that I went and got this Bible. You know, it has like, um, it's a study Bible. So it has all these things in the bottom. For the first time, instead of being the church girl that went to everybody else to learn what everybody else told me about God, I started to read it. And the words came alive. And there was this one 
time, it was the first time that the word just rose off the page, and it was in 2005. And it said, it was, the two Marys were at the tomb. I couldn't remember if it was both Marys, but it, um, Nicola helped me remember it is two Marys. One Mary ran off to go tell the good news that Jesus was risen, the tomb was empty, and the other one just stood there and stood still. And in that moment, that word stood kind of rose off the page, and I had this feeling inside, and I was like, oh my gosh, the word is alive. Like, I knew in that moment God was saying, stand still, child. I'm trying to get your attention. And it freaked me out a little bit. And so that was like the very beginning for me, that, that there was more. Now, at the same time, I'm not really wanting to give up on my social cul-de-sac lifestyle at all. I'm like, what does this mean? I can't hang out with these people anymore? Because again, it was workspace. It was perception. In order to say more yes to this, that meant I got to let go of this. And I was very frustrated. That's it. So at that point in time, kind of what you're hearing us say is uh, obviously uh, it's pretty cool what happened for us in the same year, pretty close to the same proximity in time. Of, of talking to God like that and Him talking to us and, and uh, changing our journey. Um, but life was really, this is a word I like to use, really compartmentalized for me. And uh, I think that's what she was describing. Like, you go to work, when you're off work, you deal with the family and spend time with family, not deal with your family, but it's family time. Let me, it's okay. Let me edit that. <laughs> uh, spend time with the family. You know, you work in some friend time in there at some point in time, Sunday morning, church time, and it's all compartmentalized nice and neat. And God, uh, starting in 2005, really started to decompartmentalize our lives in that I'm with you always really started to take on another meaning in going and making disciples. Like, everywhere you go, it's like... Every moment, every day, everywhere you go, the people you talk with, be an influencer. Um, so it started really changing. But So there's a lot. Um, I got connected with, with other men in a community Bible study and uh, started going to that uh, during the week, uh, one, one night a week for three or four years, really digging into the Word, and, uh, reading the Word. So I would encourage you, uh, if not already, to do that. It's, it's transforming. Yes. And uh, to get in his word and begin to see the vastness. Because however, however large you think he is, he's larger. Mm-hmm. And his story is larger. And there's uh, a part for you in his story. And um, through that experience with Angie, I had um, just before that, I had started attending a, a weekly um, book study, uh, discipleship class with some other males, females, uh, and uh, we met once a week, went through a book. And at the end of that, uh, this is where it started getting weird for me. Uh, <laughs> I had this desire to reach out to a couple of guys that were in the class. We were there regular each week. It's like, ah, that would be strange. so weird. Surely not, God. He's like, yep. It's like, ah. Oh. Golly, are you serious? It's like, uh, Barry, Darren, uh, this is going to sound weird, but would y'all have any desire to like meet once a week and just talk about life and pray together? They're like, man, I can't believe you're asking that. I was kind of feeling the same thing. Like, I don't have that in my life and been wondering how to fit it in. And uh, It's like, 
here we go. So we began to meet weekly, spend a little time together, and um, uh, that was going on, and she had her experience with Angie, and um, <laughs> I think I woke up one morning. Yeah, it was strange. <laughs> Another strange event. I, I laughed about like that. One morning, uh, it's kind of like one of the, like, and I'm not a dreamer, it's like people ask me, do you dream, do you have dreams? Like, I never dream. So I think this was actually, like, real. I, like, really wrestled with God. I didn't lose a hip socket or anything. Uh, but he said, you're going to go and uh, invite men in your neighborhood to come into your home. We didn't know all of them. Yeah, and I'm like, you, I mean, wait a minute. First, it's go on this retreat. Okay. Then it's meet with these two guys. Okay. Then it's... Um, Solicit the neighborhood with flyers. No, before that. Then it was a Bible study on Monday night. Those of you who don't know me that well know that I'm somewhat of a football fanatic. And so Monday night football, since I was young, oh, yeah. has been a staple. So they invited me to come to this Bible study that I started on a Monday night. I'm like, God, really? Seriously? <laughs> of all nights? Monday night? Yes. Okay. So I can remember inviting uh, really, the year before, I said, seriously, you're asking me to come <laughs> to a Bible study on Monday night during the week. Not happening. And the same guy asked me again the next year, and like, uh, I think I got to do that. But it led me and compelled me that morning that I woke up to tell Mary Catherine that I'm supposed to start opening our home and inviting men in the neighborhood to come and gather said, say what? He said, I'm going to create a Bible study called the Hampton Survivor. So it was right when the movie Survi the show came out, Survivor Island, whatever. And I said, you're going to name it what? <laughs> you're going to go, like, you're just going to get a flyer, and you're going to, like, knock on all the doors of people and tell them, come to Hampton Survivor? What are you going to do? So it was know. really crazy. It was weird. And I didn't know. Embarrassing. Um, so I didn't. I did. I did create a <laughs> flyer. I didn't knock on all the no doors. Lying. So it's so weird. I only started with uh, the guys that I had somewhat of a warm uh, relationship with already, and invited them. And of course, I already knew. Obviously, the first date we were going to meet, nobody was going to show up. Oh yeah. And that was done. Right? Wrong. Um, a couple guys showed up, and uh, we were off and running. On that journey, but my turn. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I do. So, um, I'm just going to list a handful of powerful life-changing yeses that I didn't really realize were going to have a huge impact in my life. Being invited to Mike and Debbie's Bible study—I mean, Bible study Sunday school class at Bel Air Church—I was ready to quit and leave. And one little girl pulled me aside and she said, "Would you just come in here?" You might like it. Um, about the weeks prior to that, my husband said, hey, you know, there's like a thousand people that go to church here. I mean, you can't find anybody that you get along with. Maybe the problem is you. <laughs> so I said, you did. I said, well, I'll try it one more time. One more. So I went in to, I'm just being honest, I went into Sunday school. And for the first time, I heard Mike begin to teach. And it was like a heaven. He just began to share and share, and it made sense, and I learned so much. I began to, um, another game-changing freedom moment for me was when Debbie shared her story 
about what drove her to true freedom. I could not believe that she was able to stand up there with such authority and raw, beautiful transparency in her and Mike say the things that they said. Game changer for me. Agreeing that my life had become unmanageable. Anyone ever heard those words before? My life had become unmanageable and I needed help. And so I found myself in Celebrate Recovery. Felt like I was hiding in there. This particular place that we went, it's just kind of like, I don't know what they do in there, but you know, I did hear them say that when your life is unmanageable, you should go in there. And so I found myself in there. Hearing David McKnight share his story of freedom and what freedom really looks like after a dad and a husband makes mistakes and the calling that God and what he can do with that, it gave me hope for, um, just gave me hope for families. Um, doing a year-long step study. Every Wednesday I went, sat there, let it work, shared my story with a, a sponsor, saying yes to offering full forgiveness for things that I didn't think I could. 2010, my life was really still out of control. All these things were going on, and I began to ask God because a dear friend of mine put on my bathtub on the wall the word simplify. I came home, and she, Lee had just cricketed it there. That's the proper way to say it. It said simplify. So I'd lay there every day, and I'm like, how? How? What job do you want me to let go of? What do you want me to do? And I just began for a year to argue with God, and I began to let things go. I let go of my corporate job. I said yes to many things, including helping ladies at Bel Air, because I thought, hey, maybe other people felt uncomfortable, so maybe I'll, cre- I'll be a part of women's, the women's group and um, enjoy it better. During that time that I said yes to Bel Air, I also said yes to a phone call from a person that wanted to tell me about Doors of Hope. So Doors of Hope at that point had been around for a year. A gal named Mary Dell Williams created it, and she went into the jail, and she taught recognitive rethinking structure classes to ladies in, that are incarcerated in our local workhouse. Um, and I found out how awesome that was, and I thought, wow, I wish I could do that. And she said, but to get into the swimming pool of Doors of Hope and you want to play, you gotta, you got to be a letter writer. So I began to like, write letters. I wrote one gal a handful of times, and I was horrible at it. I forgot what I put and I forgot to put it in the mail, and then they didn't write me back. And then when the girl got out, none of it was true. She didn't want to meet me, and I was just like that, hmm, not feeling it. But something made me pull off the road and go see Mary Dell one day. And in that moment when I went to see her at Heritage Park Drive, it was her first office. And she was getting ready to leave, and in a hustle and a bustle, she jumped in the car. And before I could stop her, I said, why don't you stay here? You look busy. Let me go and get this girl. Where are you going to get her? She said, I'm going to probation. I was like, all right. So I get in the car, and I'm driving down the street, and I'm like, what is probation, and where is it at? Call her at. <laughs> we had phones then. It wasn't that long. Hey, what's probation? Where is it at? Okay, it's on Main Street. What does she look like? So meanwhile, Shay would tell you, Shay Holder, if you know her, I drove past her like three different times. And finally, I found her. She gets in my car. and She gets in my car, and I had just said yes to a Bible study. I'd been at Mike and Deb's on Tuesday nights, and we were reading through a book called Classic Christianity. Sure did change my life about works. If you, if you feel bogged down by working your way to God, I encourage you to read this book. And I was really learning like what it meant to just be filled with God and just say yes. And so that was an accidental yes, and Shay's in my car. And that girl looked right at me and said, you know, it's taken me 39 years to know that I'm fully forgiven and God sees me at my finished best, or some phrase just like that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that was in the book last night. About wrecked my cart, freaked me out. And I knew like in that moment... I was supposed to do life with this girl, but I didn't know really what that looked like. Take her back to Marydale, and she just looks at me, and Shay, now I know, cries a lot. But I thought it was a really special cry that day. <laughs> She's just a teary girl, but anyway, she was having a heavy heart, and Marydale said, why don't you go in there find out what she's crying about? So I went and I sat down, and I looked at her, ill-equipped, untrained, unprofessional, knowing nothing, 
And I said, what are you crying about right now? She began to share her heart. She just wanted a safe place to heal with her kids. Now, I wish I could say with all my religious hours I've spent in church and school that I'm like, hey, our God, he's mighty and we got this. I thought, wow, that's a hard thing to solve. And no, I don't know what's going to happen here. And we stand up and we leave. And I tried to do my best to comfort her. And Mary Dell said, let's go before the Lord. Let's pray to our bodacious God and tell her how great God is. And we held hands and we began to pray. And I looked at him like this. And I was scared because in my codependency, I was like, how are we going to solve all this problem? And she began to say that, pray to God that he was going to give her a home, give her a safe place for her children, blah, blah, blah. We leave, and I'm like stressed out about it. And I think, boy, she gave her false hope. How dare Mary Dell pray for her for something she can't just give her, and this woman's clearly suffering. We get in the car, and we began to leave. But in that year prior, Michael and I had had one other guest that we were a part of. And we had said yes to Mike and Debbie, and they had started the refuge. At the time, it didn't even have a name. It was just a place. It was a thought. It was a movement. And at some point, Mike had named it, or Debbie, y'all had named it the refuge. You're in a safe place, right? You're in a safe place. So I'm driving down the road. I don't even get to Sportscom, and I think, it's a safe, you're in a safe place. Mike, 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 Mike has apartment A3 where couples in crisis go. I pick the phone up. Before I'm even to Sportscom, I'm like, Mike. Thanks for saying yes and answering my call. You right? Think about that. He could have been doing anything. He said yes. Hello? What you got? I tell him. He said, hey, come get the key. Oh, okay, don't you want to interview her? Don't you want to meet her? Don't you want to see her? No, just come get the key. And that was the beginning of Housing for Doors of Hope. Um, currently now we have about five houses total with men's emergency housing. So if you don't know much about Doors of Hope, we've ended up helping hundreds of people, um, intimately probably 50 over the last five years, and um, so that's just a quick little nugget there on a sidetrack for yes. Um, yeah, you know, I can keep going. I just didn't know if I talked too much. Because, I mean, I, like, I, I kind of deviated from what I've written here, but I'm ready because i still got to share something else. Yeah. So let me, I'm going to back up to 2011. I talked about 2005 being uh, Ebenezer building year. 2011 is another one of those years because by the time 2011 had gotten here, so six years of this journey of living life with different eyes and a different way of seeing things and how to interact uh, in relationship deeper and uh, just experiences God had taken us on, uh, had grown us. And um, I wasn't as compartmentalized. I was living my faith out throughout the day and time. Um, but it, it was still quite orderly. <laughs> my life. I like to refer to it as one of those uh, hardware box files. You might be getting one of those out now that the year's closed out and put your files away nice and neat in the cardboard so you can put it up in the attic. That's kind of what my life looked like until uh, I guess it was a day in December or January. Uh, these two knuckleheads right here called and said, we're not going to be teaching Sunday school Sunday. It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, uh, not going to be teaching Sunday. Can you fill in? I was like, sure, but what do you mean? It's like, God's calling us out. Where are you going? We don't know yet. What's it look like? We don't know yet. Um, so it was definitely not a choice or an option or a consideration of what is, uh, was it a yes or a no? It was like, how... And what 
and uh, it wasn't an if, you know. It's like, well, we're going too, but I don't know what that looks like. And it was uh, 2011. Um, it was a long year. They set out on their journey. I know if they shared their full journey with that yes of theirs, it would take us a couple couple nights to go through that probably to hear it all. Because I know they wrestled with what God was telling them for quite a long season of what that was and how that was going to look and all of that. But, uh, man, some courageous folks, and they stepped out. And if they wouldn't have, we wouldn't be sitting here tonight like we're sitting sharing. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool, yes, and I was glad to be a part of that. But 2011 included uh, that journey um, of taking uh, another one of those conversations with God and saying, now that you've been meeting with, with guys in your home, I want you to go and out into uh, Murfreesboro and start meeting somewhere. I was like, this is just crazy. You don't just start doing that. And uh, before... Before I even started meeting, I got a call from a guy uh, two weeks in a row. This is crazy, but I got a call two weeks in a row that said, hey, um, kind of guy watching, he didn't say watching you from a distance, but just seeing how you live in life, he said, I just want to talk to you about it, and uh, would you mind meeting me? I said, sure. Uh, I didn't drink coffee, but he said, how about a cup of coffee? I said, that'd be fine. I don't drink coffee. So, well, there's this coffee shop uh, over on the north side of town, close to where we both live. Let's just meet there. I said, okay, I'll meet you there. So we had coffee, great conversation. The next week, another guy calls me. He said, been really wanting to get together with you. Been putting off making this phone call, but something guys tell me to do. I want to meet with you. I said, okay, sure. Um, how about a cup of coffee? Well, I don't drink coffee, but... Sure, where do you want to meet? He said, well, there's this coffee shop <laughs> over off Memorial near where we live. How about we meet there? I said, okay. So I'm like, God, what are you telling me here? And uh, so at that point, I ventured out a little further out of my comfort zone and began to invite guys to join up on Friday mornings uh, to meet, talk about life, uh, share the word, and... Uh, began doing that at what we now know is uh, Just Love Coffee in 2011. But um, in her journey with Doors of Hope started in 2011, so of course my journey started, but I was just playing uh, co-pilot at that time and was just uh, helping her move furniture around. <laughs> uh, a lot of furniture. A lot of stuff, but kind of doing it uh, as a side note. And a guy called me and said, I'm Mike Stroud, I'm the guy that your wife told you a little bit about and you've heard from Mary Dell and we're trying to get the men's side of Doors of Hope started up and um, I'm teaching a class but we're looking for guys to write letters. Would you want to write letters? Um, and I mean, at this point you're like, Sure. Not really, but <laughs> I don't have an option here. This is another one of those crazy questions that I know I have to say yes to. And so I did, and the guy didn't write me back. And the next guy didn't write me back. I thought, man, I'm the most ineffective letter writer in the history of the organization. But 
what we found out in this journey is that uh, that's just kind of part of the deal. But uh, being willing to say yes in that, and uh, so now today both of us really are uh, intertwined into that opportunity, really, uh, no matter what you call it, Doors of Hope or Braveheart or whatever you label you want to put on it, it's an opportunity that God brought us to that allows us to live life day in and day out with folks. And so um, just another, just want to keep repeating, but just hopefully you guys can see as we journey through that, each each of those decisions and yeses was, uh, was a small piece at the time that it just wasn't too much. It was more than we wanted, but it wasn't too much. And uh, continue to just give us pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple more things. Um, I had gotten the opportunity to start going into this workhouse and start teaching, and I met a gal named Salida. Anybody know Salida in this room? We've heard from her. And, and Salida sharing with me, she was just a desperate mom to get out of jail and wasn't quite sure where Delilah was. Uh, Delilah was like nine and asked me if I'd go by this place they were staying. I scoop up a blonde, beautiful girl named Delilah, and next thing I know, we're in Gallatin at the weekend for my mom's, and just loving on her, and my mom didn't know a clue, didn't know, even really know what I was doing at Doors of Hope, and she said to her, honey, where do you stay? Where do you live? And she said, I stay in a hotel, and it just broke my mom, and God had already started putting on her heart that she was supposed to be doing something with this money she had inherited, so... I mean, I didn't really talk to mom much more about it. And out of the blue, one day she called and she was like, I think we're supposed to buy a house for you guys to put these ladies in. So again, like if I had known, like, you know, next thing I know, it's like 2013 and I'm, we're, we bought this house. And I remember being alone in the house and just being scared. Like, this is big. This is never going to go away. Like, I didn't know that putting Shay there, this, this is like, this is not what I wanted. And it felt like I had... You know, you can't give the child back when you've had a child. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just say, I just want to be un- I'm undoing that. And I didn't feel like it could be undone. And so sometimes um, a life-changing yes can feel heavy, you know? Um, it can feel draining, but God, he still works even in, in that. So uh, we were able to get this beautiful house, and I had met a girl named Shannon Ritchie at this point who was trying to start something called Girls Ranch. And she'd just been telling her story over and over again. And I was like, girl, you need to get started. You need to start meeting with some people. And next thing I know, my yes to her was, why don't you just use the house? Now Girls Ranch has since bought the house. It's just a cool thing just to see all the different wives that these small yeses they take on. Sometime during those years, I think I really lived my life with um, praying like, Lord, after being, what am I going to simplify? How can I get rid of stuff so you can have margin to move? I began to say, how can I live intentionally? Lord, what do you care about? Like, break my heart for what breaks yours. Y'all remember that song that would sing that year over and over again? And I would sing it with it, and I meant it. Somehow during those last couple years between 20 and 13 to 2015, I'd love to say I was very present, but it's been a blur. It's been a chaotic blast of joy and hard. I have seen endless people uh, have mountaintop victories and setbacks and defeat. We've buried someone to addiction. I mean, we've seen it all. And there's so many times that I would cry out and say, I worked so hard, you know, I did all that for this. And in those moments, God would say, no, you did that just because your yes is on the table. And I'm just going to wrap this up because I don't know what else Michael's got, but you know, what I've really learned over these years is it's not about the mission that he's called you to. It's not about, like, i got to figure it out. It's right in front of your nose. Your calling finds you. Like, I, it just organically found me. It's not difficult. Like, God has birthed a unique calling in each of your lives, 
and he is organically trying to move and make something beautiful. Can you show, can we show that? So what was really cool is I, I saw this at the doctor's office and I felt compelled to buy this. And God is just really using this, this message with me that, you know, unfailing love, that he is pursuing us. And I loved how Mike started out. I didn't know what you said, but you were talking about the heart. Now I've forgotten, but it was beautiful. I'm like, that's the perfect setup. But this is, looks messy. Like if you just zoned in on that right there, that, that's comforting to me, actually. It's chaotic. I'm crazy in a beautiful way. But when you pull back out, it sure does make a beautiful heart. And so I want you to think about every awesome thing that you're like, I rocked that, nailed it. I want you to think about all the things that you're like, jack that up. The things that are secret things, the regretful things, the things that have been done to you. You've had no control over, but it's just bent, bent your spirit. All of them are just little nails and little journeys, backsliding, sidetracking, backtracking. He wants to use all of it. Regrets, shoulds, tomorrows. And it just makes nothing but a big heart of hope. And God is really, he takes this, this is your calling, this is your life. And he sees this. Because he doesn't even need me to do all that. That's what's so crazy cool. He's moving in behalf of my children's life despite my efforts and destruction of what I do. So to me, I love this. This gives me seeing eyes. And so somewhere along the way I did, I began to pray, Lord, give me the vision to see. I found this note. And I just keep going back to Jamie, man. It really hit home to me. I think she spoke a very strong word to us. And don't, don't miss the moment to write and speak truth over your life and call forth what he's birthing in you and your children. And I had written in 2012, ideas for 2012, to have a home for women, transitional, maybe like three months. To take on the thought, I think that's really passive-aggressive of me, but I want to take on the thought of God fully indwelling me. I am asking the Lord to allow me the change and transform to see the change and transformation in women in 2012. Let me see it. That's crazy. And he was already beginning it and already doing it, and I was willing to hope for it. So I have no idea like where your life is headed, and I'm in a big change um, on the inside of what's going on with Doors of Hope. I'm not really doing the housing much anymore. It's left this huge void. It's allowed me to sit still and ask. Yes, I had a lot of beautiful yeses, and a lot of them were out of control. A lot of them were feeding me. And so I'm just in a reflection time of like trying to figure out, he and I are just like, what's next? What's more? We haven't arrived, right? 43, we got a long more life ahead of us. So my encouragement to you guys is your guess matters. None of those for me personally in this story wouldn't have been effective if the other person hadn't agreed to trust. So on the end of every one of my yeses is someone else's willingness, right? So it's beautiful. If you have any questions, I do want to leave this scripture. And, you know, I don't even really know where it is, but it, he calls the equipped, right? Have you all heard that one before? First Peter 4, 10 through 12, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. And that, that's significant to me because I've learned in that inadequacy, I feel very inadequate to stand up here right now, nervous, but it's in that tension. That tension is good. It's just on the other side that yes, if that yes feels inadequate, then that's the one. Jump in. 
because he gives you the strength and provides. So then all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Philippians 1.6, be confident of this. He that began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ. Like that comforts me. I, I can run out there and kind of mess it up. And he's, he's still going to be going behind me, making it right. Thank you, Jesus. So my last thought is this. What is a calling? Do you believe that you've been called? Do you think there's even a calling on your life or you've done it all? By definition, to me, this is my word, the calling is a known purpose. There's an awareness or a need. A calling draws something out of you from a mysterious and unknown sort of place. It's very reflective. You look back and you're like, oh, um, something just happened. A calling brings forth vulnerability. And in that place is tension for God within to move and work through me. That is a definition of a calling. Sometimes it looks like Haiti. Sometimes it looks like just speaking to somebody walking down the street. A calling is always bigger than you, and it usually makes a pit in your stomach, makes you have that awkward feeling, and it always grows in unexpected places that you didn't intend for it to. You know? And so if you have that pit in your stomach feeling sometimes, jump on in. You know, that is right where you're supposed to be. So thank you guys for listening to us. And did I? <laughs> See, in my natural nature, I'm already apologizing. Debbie's up here, my accountability, like, it's that, that's it. I mean, that's me in a nutshell. Like, I'm sorry.